Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Okay, good morning everybody. Um, this morning we're continuing our series looking at the message of the angels and if you were here last week we started that series Hannah spoke last week. Next week, Phil is going to conclude that mini-series of three Sundays. And today you have me, and we're looking today at the angel Gabriel's message to Mary. Now, if you've been coming to church for any length of time, or if you only come to church around Christmas time, or even if you just go to school nativity plays, you've probably heard the story I'm about to read to you today from the Bible. It's very familiar to us. And I'll just say before we get going that there's a danger. I think there are actually two dangers for us when we come to really familiar passages. I think the first thing is we can think, I already know what this passage is going to tell me. I already know it. And inadvertently, we can become blinded or deaf to the potential for God to reveal something new to us from that familiar passage. I think that's one danger. And the second one, I think, is that actually, even if we have understood what the passage is saying, just over time, the impact can be less. So there's a risk that we think we know everything about the passage. And the second risk is actually, even if we have understood it, the impact over time can be less, um, as we've heard it before. And I want to encourage us to kind of come into this very, very familiar passage and avoid those two things. So not just encourage you, actually, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit helps us, because that's the best thing, isn't it? So I know you've just sat down, but I'd like it if you could just stand as we pray together um, before we get into the passage. Um, Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here with us this morning. We thank you for your presence. Um, We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would really help us to receive whatever it is that you want us to receive from this familiar passage today. Open our eyes to whatever may be new to us, And whatever it is that you want us to receive, we pray that it goes deep into our hearts and changes us um, and makes us more like your son, the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, thank you. You can take your seats. Now, before we actually get into the passage, which will come on um, shortly, um, just really quickly, where are we in the overall Christmas story? So you may be familiar that God had prophesied to his people Israel over hundreds of years that he was going to send a Messiah, um, a saviour for the whole world. Um, But there was 400 years of complete silence where God had stopped speaking to the people. And Hannah spoke last week and she told us that after that 400 years of silence, there is this break in the silence. And what is it? It's God sending his angel to Zechariah to give the news that Elizabeth, his wife, would be giving birth to John the Baptist. So we saw that breaking of the silence last time. Now where are we today? We're actually six months on in the story. So if we go to the next slide, we'll see that right at the beginning of our text. We're in the sixth month. And what that basically means is Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. So that helps you just connect where we are in the story. So let's read the passage together. Um, It says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. If you just go to the next slide, Martin, we're going to work through this passage, not quite line by line, but as I work through this story, which is familiar to us, as I say, I'm hoping we're going to touch upon three points which are there um, on the screen there. So I hope it becomes clear as I work through. I'll do my best to make it clear. We're going to look at the significance of the virgin birth. Secondly, I want us to see something of the importance of the favour of God. And then thirdly, that there is an invitation to carry Jesus. So I hope these points become clear as we work through. If you just go to the next again, Martin. So we've seen at the beginning of our passage that we're in the sixth month, that Elizabeth is now six months pregnant, and we see it's the angel Gabriel who has come to give this message. Um, we've heard of Gabriel before. Gabriel was the same angel who, hundreds of years before, um, came to Daniel in the Old Testament and helped Daniel interpret visions and, and so on about the coming Christ. We saw last week that Gabriel was the same angel that gave the message to Zechariah. So this is the same angel that we're talking about today. Does anyone know the only other named angel in the Bible? I didn't know this, I had to Google it. Michael. There's only two, only two angels named in the Bible, specifically named. Gabriel is one and Michael's the other. And we're looking at Gabriel today. And, and just go back one side, Martin. He is sent from God to an area called Galilee and to a town called Nazareth. Now, this isn't a big part, but I just want to make something make the point about Nazareth. It's interesting. The prophecies from hundreds of years before had said that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come from Nazareth and born in Bethlehem. And I wonder if people thought, well, that seems a contradiction. Is the Messiah coming from Bethlehem or Nazareth? Um, It seemed a contradiction. But if you know the Christmas story, you may know that Mary and Joseph... There is a census taking place in the land and they have to travel to Bethlehem, which is where Jesus is born. They then spend two years in Egypt, fleeing Herod, and then they come back to Nazareth, where Jesus grows up. And so we can actually see that it is true, the two do go together, that Jesus is both from Nazareth and he was born in Bethlehem. And I don't just say that because it might be interesting. I say it to remind us that when God promises something, he fulfills exactly what he says he will do. And it's really encouraging for us to know that and to be reminded of that, even in something as simple as that verse there, that this all happened in Nazareth. It reminds us that when God promises something, he does it exactly. And you know what? There are promises still to be fulfilled in the Bible. And it's important that 
we remember that we're not to take God's promises and bend them to fit how we see the world around us, but we're to have faith in God and actually to do the opposite, to see the world around us in light of the promises that he has spoken. He is a God who does exactly what he says he will do. Okay, so this town, Nazareth, it wasn't um, a hotbed for sort of Orthodox Jews. It was actually a fairly mixed region. It was a Gentile region. It was a trading town where a real mix of people came and lived together. It wasn't somewhere you might have expected there to be lots of practicing and Orthodox Jews, although Mary was one of them. So if we go to the next slide, we'll see that we're introduced to a virgin. It'll become clear it's Mary. So we have Mary here living in Nazareth. She is a Jew and she is betrothed to a man called Joseph. Now that word betrothed is quite similar to how we might understand it to be engaged to someone today. It's not quite the same. In fact, if anything, it was more binding in that day in their culture to be betrothed. In other words, it's almost like the deal, the arrangements between the father of the bride and the groom had already been made, but really all they're waiting for now is for the groom, Joseph, to build a home, prepare um, a home for them to be um, able to live in, and when that's done, they then get married and become husband and wife. So that's what it means by being betrothed. And yes, we're introduced there to the virgin's name. You know her, obviously, it's Mary. Now, we get then on to the first point I said we'd get on to, which is the significance of the virgin birth. And I want to say this, that the importance of the virgin birth is critical. It cannot be overstated. A right view of the incarnation... Incarnation is the word we use for God becoming man. A right view of the incarnation hinges on the truth of the virgin birth. And just in case you think, well, she was a virgin when the angel came to her, but, well, she's definitely a virgin by the time Jesus was conceived. If we go to Matthew's Gospel on the next slide, we see Matthew puts it really clearly. He says, but he, that is Joseph, did not consummate their marriage until Mary gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born. That's what the Bible says. And yet many people struggle with this. Many people say, well, clearly this is impossible. It is simply impossible for Mary to have been a virgin and given birth to Jesus. And actually, you'll be surprised how many Christians are described as quite liberal Christians will struggle to actually believe that this is really literally true, that Mary was indeed a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. I can only assume they didn't read on to the next part of, the, of our passage, if you go on again, Martin. Um, they obviously haven't read these bits if they're Christians and still struggle with the virgin birth, because you see two things. Firstly, the angel goes on to say it wasn't Joseph who um, conceived Jesus, but it was the Holy Spirit. We'll come on to that again in a bit more. They clearly didn't read on to verse 37, where it says, for nothing will be impossible with God. If you believe God created the heavens and the earth, it is not difficult to also believe that he conceived Jesus by his Holy Spirit. So really for Christians or other people to really have an issue with the virgin birth is actually an admission that they don't really believe and agree with the God of the Bible. So just to make it really clear, the, the Bible is clear that Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born. Now... You might think, why am I going on about this? Okay, it's an interesting thing to know. Does it really matter? I've said that the point is that we want to look at the significance of the virgin birth. Why is it significant 
that Jesus came to earth in this way? Why is it significant that he came to earth this way through a virgin birth? Now, impressive scholarly people will come up with lots of reasons, and I'm not trying to dismiss them at all. They're a little bit over my head. But there is one thing that I want to share with you which I think gives us a good answer to that question. Why is it significant that Jesus came to earth this way? I want you to think this. The very fact that he came to earth this way shows that salvation begins with God. Jesus is the saviour of the world. God initiated this. It was a miracle of the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with human works. The human involvement, there wasn't a human seed here. It was a seed of the Holy Spirit. We see right in the very way in which Jesus came to earth that salvation is from God. It's an unmistakable reminder that it's not through our human efforts. You know, Jesus, when he grew up, he spoke and he did things and everything he did and he spoke about was consistent with what I've just said, that salvation is from God and it's not through human effort. But actually, even before we get to what Jesus said and did, even in the very way he came to earth, shows us that this is a salvation that is initiated by God and not from human effort. It's very important that we understand the significance of the virgin birth. Okay, we'll move on in the story. We were introduced to Joseph. And Joseph, um, we learn from his ancestry elsewhere in the New Testament that he is someone who can trace his lineage all the way back through to King David and beyond. So in one sense, he had a very important ancestry, and he might say he therefore had quite an a degree of importance. Actually, that's probably not true. His lineage is important, but there's nothing particularly remarkable about Joseph. We learn very little about him in the Bible. He is an unremarkable person in many respects. And actually, we can say the same of Mary. She's not a particularly remarkable person in many respects. So we have this couple who are quite unremarkable, and yet they are about to be thrust into the most incredible, life-changing situation of them all. Can you think of anyone who has received news like the news Mary is about to receive? I don't know whether you've ever received news where in a moment your whole life has changed in a moment because of some news you have received. We're about to see that with Mary. We move on to the second point. So there we've got the first point I mentioned, that salvation comes from God. And now as we look at this news that Mary is about to receive, I want us to focus on the importance of the favour of God. The importance of the favour of God. In the next verse, on the next slide, Martin, we see that the angel Gabriel introduces himself to her. Greetings, um, O favoured one. And then look at what happens in verse 30. The angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. So we can conclude from that that Mary's initial reaction is to be afraid. Okay, that might seem quite reasonable. She is now facing an angel. And she is afraid. But I think when you see the, 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 kind of the, the comment from the angel, do not be afraid, I think it's tempting to think, therefore, Mary's first reaction was a wrong one, and the angel had to kind of correct her. Maybe. But I want to suggest something different. I want to suggest this morning that Mary's first reaction to fear, to be afraid, is a good reaction. And I want to explain why. You know, the Bible says that God is an all-consuming fire. And remember where Mary is in this. Mary is now confronting or being confronted by an angel. The holiness of God 
in a tangible way that probably no one in this room has experienced. The holiness of God manifest in this angel, giving God's very words to her. That is a holy and powerful moment. And God is described as an all-consuming fire. I'm going to suggest it is a good reaction to fear God in that moment. And you know what the Bible actually says? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm going to say it again. To fear the Lord is a good response. It is the right response. When you are in the holiness of God, it is a right response to fear him. And yet, we still have to accept that the angel said, do not be afraid. And so I want to spend a few minutes looking at how do these two things go together? How can the Bible on the one hand say it is right to fear God and that indeed brings wisdom? How can the Bible say it's right to fear God and yet the angel says do not be afraid? How do those two things sit alongside one another? And I want want us to spend a few minutes just looking at that. And to give an answer, I think there's a few dots that I kind of need to join together. So it might be that initially it doesn't quite answer the question. So please bear with me, and I hope by the time we work things through, we can see how can it be that as followers of Jesus, we are told to fear the Lord, and yet also to not be afraid of him. To help us, I'm going to use an illustration. It's not a perfect one. It's the best I could come up with, but I hope it helps. Imagine a fireman. Consider a fireman. He is going to a burning building. He is aware of the danger of the fire. And what does he do? He puts on a uniform. He might put on a mask. He might have an oxygen tank on his back. He is protected. He doesn't need to be afraid. He recognises the danger of the fire, but he doesn't need to be afraid because he's protected by what he's wearing. Okay? We'd think that fireman were completely foolish if he said, or if he believed, the very act of him putting on the uniform meant that the fire had gone out. We'd think that's silly, wouldn't we? We'd say, just by putting on the uniform means that the fire has gone out. We'd think, no, the fire is still going. The reason you don't need to be afraid is because you're protected. Okay? Some Christians, without maybe realising, I think make the same mistake with God. They think that when they've become a Christian, God has changed. They think that when they've become a Christian, that all-consuming fire that he is isn't really there anymore. The fire has gone out. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just in case it makes any significance to you, that description of it being an all-consuming fire is not in the Old Testament. It shouldn't make a difference, but some find that a struggle. It's a New Testament description. God has not changed when you've become a Christian. The all-consuming fire that he is, is still there. To think that his fire has gone out is like that fireman who thinks, as soon as I put on the clothing, the fire just disappears. It's not true. Like God hasn't changed and he will not change and it's foolish to think that his fire has gone out. So, when we approach this all-consuming fire that he is, we'd better be protected. We'd better be protected. That fireman knows when I approach that fire, I'd better be protected. When we approach a holy God, we'd better come with the right protection. And that's the first part of our answer. To fear the Lord is a good thing. Because it leads to wisdom. And that wisdom will tell you, if I'm going to go close, I'd better be protected. That's what wisdom will tell you to do. Get your protection. It leads to a question, I think, well, what is the protection? What is that protection we need? Well, the angel has given us the answer there in verse 30. She says to Mary, don't be afraid. Why? 
Mary, you have found favour with God. The favour of God is what enables Mary to no longer need to be afraid of him. The favour of the Lord is our protection when we come to our holy God. So that's our second part of the answer, those two quite quickly together. The first part, remember, fearing the Lord is a good thing. It grows wisdom in you, and that wisdom will lead you to the conclusion, I need to be protected to come to a holy God. And the next part of our answer is, and that protection is found in the favour of him, the favour of God. So then the next question is, well, how do I have the favour of God? Mary has it. How do I have the favour of God? Do I have the favour of God? Perhaps Mary was unique. Was Mary quite different to anyone else? Was Mary divine? Was she perfect? You know, the Catholic Church teach that Mary was without sin. The Catholic Church have an issue here because they believe that for Jesus, who is without sin, to have been born from within her, she herself needed to be without sin. So what the Catholic Church have done is they've taken this word favour and they've said that must mean and be interpreted to mean that Mary hadn't ever sinned, that she was perfect. There's a big problem with that. Firstly, well, what about Mary's mother and her mother and her mother? Where does that actually end? But actually, aside of that, actually, the Bible teaches clearly that that is the wrong interpretation of this idea that Mary was favoured. Because if we go on to the next slide, Martin, I've added a Greek word. That's what Phil's been doing recently, I've noticed in his talk. So I thought, um, we need to keep up with Phil. So there is a word there to describe Mary. The word favour in our English is the Greek word charity. Um, That is how she is described. She has found favour or charity with God. But if we go then on to a letter later in the New Testament, which is called Ephesians, Paul here, the Apostle Paul, is writing not to an individual special person called Mary. He's writing to all believers all of those who put their faith in Christ. And you'll see exactly the same description, the same Greek word is used for them. Um, It says here, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed or favoured or to use the Greek word, charitud us in the beloved. Mary wasn't unique in this sense. She wasn't perfect. As we see here, all those who find faith in Christ have his favour. We have his blessing. What is it that gives us that favour then? What is it to have his favour? Well, that Ephesians verse gives us the answer. It's his glorious grace. You see, there's to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us or favoured us. So to be favoured is to be someone who receives his grace. If you want to answer that question, do I have his favour? You need to ask yourself the question, have I received his grace? And so actually... When describing Mary as someone who is favoured by God, perhaps actually we can translate that instead and say, Mary, do not be afraid, for you have received God's grace. You have received God's grace. It's an amazing thing. And remember what we're trying to do. We're trying to understand how can it be that we are both to fear the Lord and yet at the same time as believers not to fear him. We've got our answer. We're to fear the Lord because that develops wisdom in us that says, I need to be protected if I'm to come to this holy God. What is that protection? It is his favour. And how do we have his favour? We just receive his grace. We come to him and receive his grace. This is not what Mary or the people in Ephesus or you and I can contribute to God. It is what we can receive from him. 
This is an important question. I've asked quite a few. This is an important question. Today, as you sit here today, have you received the grace of God? Have you received the grace of God? You know, there's an invitation today that you can. You can come to God today and receive forgiveness for your sins and know his grace, know his forgiveness, know his mercy. You can have his favour upon you and you can know that even though he is a Lord to be feared, he is a Lord that has forgiven you and that you can come to him and know that he is kind and know that he is for you and know that he is good to you. And that is an invitation for everyone in this room today. Have you received the grace of God? If you're not sure, come to him and receive that grace again today. There's one way to do it. There's one way to do it. You can come to God. How do you do it? Through Jesus. At the bottom of that verse of Ephesians, we see there the forgiveness of our sins. Excuse me, slightly earlier. In him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. We can come to a God today and receive his grace, but you can only come through Jesus. His blood atoned for you. Jesus says himself, no one comes to God the Father except by me. Basically what I'm saying is to come to a holy God in any other way than through Jesus is as foolish as going to a burning building without protection. Jesus' grace for you is the protection you need to approach him. And that invitation is there for you today. Okay, so let's recap where we're at. We've seen the significance of the virgin birth on the next slide, we've seen that that is itself symbolising that uh, salvation comes from God. And we've seen the importance of the favour of God. We are to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom leads to repentance through Jesus' blood and we receive his saving grace and find favour with him and we don't need to be afraid of him. So that's what we've seen so far. Now we're going to come on to our third and final point, um, which is that the is that there is an invitation to carry Jesus today. There is an invitation to carry Jesus. Now let's con- continue to look at this idea, this phrase that Mary was favoured, that she was highly favoured. I've just described that actually we could understand that it's being, she is full of God's grace. And we've seen how that applies to all believers in Ephesus and also to any one of us here today who would come to Jesus. We can receive his grace And yet there is also something unique and specific happening to Mary, which we shouldn't overlook. Mary is pregnant, or she's to be pregnant with Jesus. In her unique sense, this literal, miraculous pregnancy symbolises and embodies that she is full of God's grace. Like In her case, it's quite a literal thing. She's literally got Jesus within her, and we can see that she is full of God's grace. Could it be anything else? What an amazing image that is what an amazing truth that she is full of God's grace you know Jesus when he grew up and became a man he broke every convention you would have expected of him of a messiah he touched lepers he hung out with people who were marginalised he um, went and ate with tax collectors he would speak with prostitutes Jesus broke all the rules that were expected of him and in doing so every time he was doing those things he was showing a picture of grace And yet, before we even get to Jesus as an adult doing those things, we come all the way back to his birth, and that itself is showing. He didn't just even touch sinners. He actually started his earthly life 
within a sinner. What an amazing picture of grace. Truly, Mary was highly favoured. Truly, she was full of God's grace. And so it is again for us today. If we receive Christ, we receive the full measure of God's grace. If we surrender to him, he will enter us, not in a physical sense as he did with Mary, but he comes and enters our heart by his spirit. He comes and lives within us. And when he does, his favour is upon us and we receive his grace. Now here's a question you might not have been asked in church before, ladies. If God wanted to use your womb to give birth to someone great, what would you say? If God wanted to use your womb for the birth of someone great, what would you say? Now if you're someone who is longing for children, you'd probably say yes, and you'd be delighted. But let me, ask, let me add a detail to the question. How would you feel if that was at the least convenient time in your life? Can I use your womb for the birth of someone great at the least convenient time in your life? Let's think back to Elizabeth last week, that story. Elizabeth was someone who was longing for children. We know that her and Zechariah prayed for children. She was barren and hadn't had children. She was actually also in her old age when this all happened. There must have been moments of anxiety within her at that point. How will I cope being a mother in my old age? There must have been anxiety. But actually what you see in the passages relating to Elizabeth is this is a picture of joy and celebration and happiness. You read later that family and the wider community all come around at the birth of John the Baptist and celebrate it. When Mary goes to visit Elizabeth later in the story, um, we're told that John kind of skips Um, within her, this almost a picture of the joy of the whole pregnancy. For her, it's an amazing thing. But what about Mary? What about Mary? Mary was a teenage girl outside of marriage. For her to be pregnant was scandalous. For her to be pregnant would have led to the looks, the whispers, the judgments, maybe rejection, You know, Mary's family and community didn't gather around at the birth of her son. She had to carry this burden. What an incredible burden to carry for a teenage girl. At this point in the story, she doesn't know what Joseph's going to think about it. What an amazing thing. How do you feel if God asks you to carry someone in your womb at the least convenient time? It's not just that, well, it is a hypothetical question, but let me bring it back to something more relevant to us. It's actually not a question just for the ladies, it's a question for us all. How would you feel about carrying Jesus in your heart? God isn't asking you today, God isn't sending an angel to us today to ask or to tell you about using your womb. He is asking, will you allow my son to come into your heart? Will you allow him to be treasured in your heart? So how do you feel about that? Galatians 4 talks about Jesus being formed within you when you put your faith in him. In verse 5 of that chapter, it says that God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. God wants his son to come and live within your body, in your heart. Now, will you say yes, but with resentment? It's not convenient time. Some of the costs involved, not convenient. Will you have resentment? Or will you treasure him in your heart? Will you treasure the Lord Jesus in your heart today? You know, with physical pregnancy, clearly 
initially it's not visible to the outsider. But over time, the pregnancy becomes visible. And that's how it can be for some of us as Christians. Some of us, actually, we can be Christians, but actually to the outsider, it might not be obvious at all. But actually, if you treasure Jesus in your heart, he will change you. And bit by bit by bit, you will change, and it will become visible to the outsider. And eventually, people will say, it's not just something is different with that person, but someone is in that person and has changed them. It's an amazing transformation. If you treasure Jesus in your heart, you'll find you stop doing things you used to do. You'll start doing things you didn't used to do. You'll find that your attitudes to things change. You'll find that your perspective on all sorts of things change. The way you treat people changes. If you treasure Jesus, you become more like him. And God says to us today, will you treasure Jesus in your heart? For some of us, like with Elizabeth, if we draw that parallel again, we've had families, family members and friends praying for us to follow Jesus all our lives. And when we become Christians, and this is true for me, my family are Christians and they are delighted that I'm following the Lord. And that might be true of many of, many of you here. But actually, there may be some of you who actually have a much closer comparison to Mary well, actually, for you to treasure Jesus in your heart is actually to go against what your family wants. Um, that there is suspicion, there is um, judgment made upon you. Perhaps for some of you, your family have just never accepted it. And nevertheless, God says, will you treasure my son, the Lord Jesus, in your heart? Let's look at Mary's response. How did she handle this? I mentioned that at this point, she doesn't know exactly how Joseph is going to respond to this, never mind everyone else. I don't think she's fully grasped the significance of everything that has just been said to her by the angel, but I think she may be starting to get there. She's beginning to understand what it is to carry Jesus. What an amazing response. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Jesus asks us today, will you carry me in your heart? We don't understand the full consequence of that. I really hope that we've got the same attitude of Mary. When we don't understand it all, nevertheless, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Perhaps the musicians wouldn't mind just coming up. We're going to... We're going to spend time singing again in a moment. Um, perhaps you could just all stand. How can we respond? How should we respond to what we've seen today? Well, I think I've touched upon a few things, and different things might be impressing upon each of you differently. Perhaps for some of you, a reminder of the virgin birth, that God is the God who does the miraculous, is what is hitting home that actually salvation is from God. Perhaps for some of you, it's actually a reminder that the fear of the Lord is a good thing. It leads to wisdom that says, if I'm to come to him, I need protection, and I need to find his favour, and that is to receive his grace. Or maybe that last point is the point that is speaking to you most, that Jesus is asking you directly today, will you carry me in your heart? Will you allow it to become visible to those outside, even if 
that leads to resistance and difficulty from others. Whatever it is that has spoken to you most, again, let's just close with those words of Mary. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. listen to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.